what shall I preach today? That is a question I ask every Monday morning when I get out of bed. I start preparing for the Sunday sermon on Monday morning. And all throughout the week, what shall I preach? What shall I preach? We're faced with some trouble sometimes as a nation. And when the nation gets troubled, it affects our homes. It affects our churches. It affects our schools. We have this current pandemic. Did you know we're getting ready to begin the second year of the assault of the pandemic on the people of the world? Countries all over the world, hundreds of thousands, have paid the price with their lives. And God in heaven only knows how long this is going to continue. We have a new presidential administration. We have the rising state of Antifa. I purposefully have described it as the rising state. It is my opinion that the whole purpose of Antifa is to become a state of the Union. I believe they are working diligently on Seattle and Portland as one of the major thresholds to establish that statehood. I believe it's closer than we think. As long as they can live like the devil and take the lives of people and burn flags and the politicians don't do anything but smile at it, we're in trouble They showed a picture on television last night of them rising up again in Portland. And they began burning flags, the flags of the United States. And I fully believe this. You could stop that within 15 seconds. If you'd call in the federal authorities or call in the National Guard and make sure that their guns are properly loaded... And the first flag burner pop him right between the eyes and dare anybody else to burn another flag. I promise you they'd all run home to mama and do something else. We got a problem, my dear friend. You say, you don't talk like a preacher. You don't know what I know. And I'm telling you what I know scares me. We will greatly miss former President Donald J. Trump. I want you to know that. He did everything he promised that he would do except one thing. And that was empty the swamp. And one reason why he was not able to do that is because he had too many Republican swamp rats that have no courage or backbone or love for this country or its constitution. 
I believe, and it's my opinion, that he's the best president that we've ever had during my lifetime. And I started off with Franklin Delano Roosevelt. As far as administration and accomplishment and bettering the overall program of the United States of America, there's never, never been a president to accomplish, and I believe he accomplished them through God Almighty, the things that he was able to do. Now then, just a few brief statements, and maybe we'll get into the message. A man cannot be a good president if he isn't a habitual liar. You say, well, I'm hoping this one will be. If he's an habitual liar, it won't happen. He cannot be president if he is ignorant. He cannot be a good president if he is a communist. You say, well, Brother Cozart, who's a communist? Most of the Democratic Party, the new life movement that they have, they're communist. And if you don't know the difference between a socialist and a communist, let me tell you, they call themselves socialists. It's the difference between a polecat and a striped kitty. There is no difference between socialism and communism. Call it whatever you wish. Man cannot be a good president if he aborts babies. A man cannot be a good president if he despises police and hates law enforcement. We're in for a ride, folk. So what shall I preach today? <laughs> my, my. I got a lot of scriptures and not much time. What I want you to do is to jot the scriptures down as I call them because I'm not going to give you too much time to look them up. Let's begin with Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter number 2. By the way, I heard our new president address his cabinet this week for the first time. Of course, this is his first week. And he got his cabinet together. And he sounded pretty good. He said, if I hear any member of my cabinet, and I'm just quoting it as closely to perfect as I can... If I hear of any of my cabinet that badmouths or speaks disrespectfully or reproachably toward anybody else, I'll fire you. Now, boy, that sounds pretty tough. But the same man four weeks ago said, I want to take President Trump out beside the gym and beat the... It doesn't fit, does it? Huh? I really should have got somebody else to preach this morning. (laughs) My stoker's full. 
2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. <coughs> Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even under bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying that if we be dead with him, we'll live with him. And if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. There is in verse number three, two words that form my text. They are therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And the two words are these, endure hardness. Endure hardness. And I want to speak on the subject of Christian endurance. Christianity is an endurance course. It's not a polished profession. It's not about how we strut, but rather how we stand. It's not about palaver, but it's about perseverance. It's not about how high we can jump, but how faithfully we run the race. It's not about how we start, but it's how we finish. It's not about backing out, it's about buckling up. Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody likes a quitter. Some quit their church. Some quit their jobs. Some quit first one thing and then another. John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on his first missionary journey. They got as far as Pamphylia. (coughs) And when they got to Pamphylia... John Mark said, I think I'll go back to Jerusalem. He said, it's too tough. I hadn't, I hadn't banked on mission work being so tough. So he quit, went back. Paul didn't forget that. The next time when Paul got ready for a missionary journey, he called Barnabas and he said, we ought to go back and visit some of these places. We visited the first time, see how they're doing. 
And Barnabas said, man, that's wonderful. I think I'll call John Mark and take him with us. Paul said, not on your life. Well, what's wrong? Because he's a quitter. He put his hand to the plow and he looked back. And we're not going to take a quitter with us. And Barnabas said, well, if John Mark doesn't go, I'm not going to go. Paul said, hallelujah. I'll get somebody else to go with me. Called on a man by the name of Silas. Read a lot about Paul and Silas. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10, (coughs) Demas hath left me, having loved this present world. Demas was one of Paul's right-hand men. And there came a time when Demas thought the world and loved the world more than he loved what Paul was preaching. And Demas left him. Listen to this. Hebrews 12, 2 through 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured cross. (coughs) Did not enjoy the cross. He endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. What a man, what man of you in Luke 15 verse 4. (coughs) Having a hundred sheep if he lose one of them. Doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that one which is lost until he find it. The shepherd said, don't care how long it's going to take, we're not coming back till we find him. Our text commands us to be enduring Christians. We stand by the stuff. We know what we believe Some of us have had an exposure to truth. And if you ever have that experience, you'll never be satisfied with fables from the pulpit. You want to hear the word of God. We're not to give up. We're not to surrender. We're not to quit. Regardless of what happens in the next 365 days, that's a year. Take four years. We must not quit. You know what you believe. The devil cannot take it away. God put it in your heart. Now the meaning of endurance. What does the word mean? Endure. It comes from a Greek word and it means staying under authority. Not kicking out of the traces. It's a military term which means to stay put. It means to hold your post at all cost. As a watchman on the wall, according to Ezekiel 33, verse 2 and 6, when we see the enemy coming, we're a watchman on the wall. 
some of the remarks that I have made prior to the preaching of this message today, I am a watchman for this flock. And when I see danger coming, it is my responsibility to warn you about that. And to tell you about that. You're not going to get that on ABC and CBS and all the dumb atheists who operate the major news media that's poisoning the minds of people today. Somebody wrote the song, Hold the Fort, speaking of Christ. Hold the fort for I'm coming. Jesus signaled still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace we will. Endurance not only means coming under authority, but it means submitting to God's will. Psalm 37 verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Before the Lord ever saves us, he orders the steps that we are to take. He orders when we live, where we live, how we live, and why we live. Every circumstance that comes our way comes under the control and ordering of God Almighty. And we should endure and submit to these things that we face. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This teaches all things that happen to a believer happens for his good. This includes sour things as well as sweet things. It includes problems and difficulties and disappointments and all of the rest. If they come our way, God sent them and we're to stay under his authority and not run away and try to quit. Now, some of the pressures that you and I face, it may be your job. It may be your place of employment. It might even be within the confines of your marriage. It may be a medical problem that you don't know what the answer for it is. It may be emergencies. It may be financial problems. But instead of our fretting over these things and seeking to run away from them, we should stay put and endure. Learn the precious meaning of endurance. Endurance is a sign of salvation. People who quit usually don't know the Lord. People who quit usually don't know the Lord. Matthew 24, verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, (coughs) the same shall be saved. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't be a fainter. And in Matthew 13, 20 through 21, he that received the seed in stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet 
hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Hard times are to be expected. He says, endure hardness. I am grateful for the fact that I did not come along to enjoy the Great Depression. Came along to, I've often made this statement that I was the Great Depression. (laughs) To my daddy and to my mom. Endure hardness. The Christian life is not an easy going life. It's not pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. It's described as a battle. We're to put on the whole armor of God. Paul said at the time of his death, I have fought a good fight. He didn't say, whoopee, didn't we have a good time? He said, I fought a good fight. Paul describes our Christian life as hardness. Hardness. There's some areas of hardness that every believer is going to have to go through. And no Christian is exempt. You can expect the hardness of persecution. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 11 and 12, Paul is enumerating some of the things he had to face because of what he believed. He calls them persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecutions. If we live godly in Christ Jesus, we shall suffer persecutions. In John 15, verse 19, if you were of the world, and our Lord said this, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. (coughs) You know what hate is? Hate is when a president has already been impeached for doing nothing that they claim he did. Hate is when you want to impeach him a second time for being a citizen because he's no longer president. He's out on a golf course playing. Let's impeach him again. That goes to show you how stupid some administrations are. The world hateth you. They hate you because of your love for Jesus Christ. Now, if you were an ecumenicalist, if you were one that said, well, it's whatever you want to believe is all right, we're all going to heaven in different automobiles, you know. But no, no, you specify, you love the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not swept off your feet by Mariolatry. You love the Lord Jesus Christ and you will embrace no other lover. And there'll be others to try and get you to embrace other lovers. But you must not turn away from Christ. If you love him today, it's because he first loved you. 
They will hate you because of your doctrine. Whoopee. Oh my goodness. When I came into the doctrine of grace, I lost 95% of my invitations to come to churches and preach. Really did. Matter of fact, that's about been the way it is since I have seen grace in its fullest intent governed by a sovereign God who does all things whatsoever that pleaseth him. If you hold to the doctrines of grace, they come in after you because of your morals and your convictions. Certain things are wrong. They've always been wrong and they always will be wrong. And you cannot put a little name tag change on something and make it a different flavor and say it's all right. No, it's still wrong. Because of your love for the Bible. I tell you, I am so thrilled. I look out and I see so many of you who have come a long way with me. With me. Because I've come a long way, believe me. Of bringing your Bibles with you. And studying your Bibles and seeing what God has to say in his blessed word. You'll be persecuted for that. Are you a floater (laughs) or are you a fighter? If we stand for the Lord and what is right, you'll face persecution. You'll be ostracized. You'll be harassed. Yes, you'll be made fun of. You'll be left alone. Many years ago, not too many, but many years ago, a man by the name of Roy Moore was a judge in Alabama. And he was told by the Supreme Court judge to remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouse, and he refused. And they fired him. They didn't think twice about it. You can not only expect persecution, you can expect tribulation. I'm glad that we'll not be here for the great tribulation. I'm a premillennial. I don't believe we'll ever have a peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace comes back the second time. And he will establish that kingdom on this earth. (laughs) You know, when I first came to Tyler... Back in 1960, to a church over on the other side of town, McMurray Drive Baptist Church. And that church was interested in calling me to be their pastor. And the associational missionary. Now, if you're not a Southern Baptist from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, you can't appreciate this. The associational missionary went over to one of the men on the pulpit committee and said, whatever you do, don't call Dan Cozart to be your pastor. And the man responded and said, well, why shouldn't we call him to be our pastor? Well, he's a premillennial. <coughs> and the fellow said, well, you know what? That's why we called him. Because he's a premillennial. You'll get that one after a while, Maybe. The hardness of tribulation. Second Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.4 So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations which you endure. 
we're going to have to have some endurance in tribulation. Tribulation is a little Greek word, thalipsis. Thalipsis, it means to squeeze. It's like taking an orange. It's like taking a lemon and squeezing it until all the juice is gone. Have you ever been in a situation like that before where it looked like everything you did was wrong and you tried to do what was right and nobody liked you and you thought you'd go eat some worms? Huh? Yeah, I think if long enough you hit those situations. And it gets tighter and it gets tighter. These are pressures from the outside. It means pressure. It means trouble. It means anguish. It means burden. It's when outside circumstances or people put the squeeze or the pressure on you. Pressure from the job. Pressure from finances. Pressure from the marriage. Pressure from your children. Even, God forbid, pressure from your church. The Bible likens tribulation to the travail of a woman in labor. (laughs) She has an unbearable time with the pressure and discomfort, yet it's worth it all when the baby is born. There's going to be a payday someday. You put this down, my dear friends. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God knows what's going on, and God in his time will do something about it. What's going on? You can trust him for that. In Acts chapter 14, verse number 22, the Apostle Paul on his return visit to organize the churches in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch gave them this message, and I'm quoting, We must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. We must through much tribulation It's not a downhill trip, my dear friends. It's uphill all the way. We must enter into great tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God. Then not only that, but you can expect the hardness of afflictions. The hardness of afflictions. In Hebrews 10.32, But call to remembrance the former days in which after which you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. 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 It's a Greek word, pathema, from which we get our word pathos. It means pain and suffering. It means grief. This is inside pressure. Not so much outside pressure, but inside pressure. It involves physical pain and suffering. Our Lord is spoken of in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. All of us get sick from time to time. Some of us have to suffer in body. We're confined to bed or to a hospital room or to a rest home or a facility like that. Those are difficult times, but we must never give up. We must endure. We must endure. It involves mental anguish and pain. These are ulcer-producing things. 
Have you wondered why taking all of these stomach antacids, you reach a time where they don't do any good anymore? That's because the ulcer's bigger than they are. Have you ever been there? Satan attacks the mind as well as the body and the flesh. All of us have been afflicted by the onslaught of Satan against our minds. We must endure hardness. Some turn to drugs, some turn to alcohol, while some turn to suicide. But we must endure by turning to the Lord. Often our children get into a dilemma that breaks our heart. And about all we can do is just pray for them. Pray for them. Anguish and pain. I have added this. You can expect the hardness of discipline. Now this is when we stop doing what God wants us to do and we start doing what we want to do. Sometimes the Lord has to take us out back to the divine woodshed and apply some stripes to us to get our attention. Oh, by the way, you don't have to pay for this. It's absolutely free. But if you can't get the attention of your children, there is a way. Yeah, there is a way. And usually the child screams out, Oh, Mama, don't hit me again. The hardness of discipline. Hebrews 12, 6 through 7. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son he receiveth. Notice every son. Nobody's exempt from this if you know the Lord. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he that the father chasteneth not? Sometimes I do believe in my own life and experience there have been times when I did go out to the woodshed with the Lord. And and you don't forget those times. You really don't. When our father puts the lash to us, we don't run from it. Rather, we stay put and endure it. And we remember three things. Number one, it declares that we belong to Him. Number two, He does it for our profit. And number three, He does it that we might be taught partakers of His holiness. Thus, we can lift up our hanging hands and strengthen our feeble knees. One other area. You can expect the hardness of temptation. The devil is a wounded lion. And a wounded lion is the most dangerous kind. Because he will strike out at anything at any time under any circumstance. In James 1.12 it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him 
Now pay attention. Temptation is a solicitation to do evil. Go back to the Garden of Eden and the devil appeared to Eve and said, Hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And she said, Well, there's a certain tree. If we eat of it, he said, We're going to die. If we touch it, we'll die. And the devil said, Oh, you won't surely die. She bought it hook, line, and sinker. And we've been sinking ever since. It's a solicitation to do evil. Temptations can be so vicious and difficult to turn down. Yet every believer can bear and endure that. Why do I know that? Because of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you but that which is common to man. But God is faithful. And will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able. But will with the temptation make a way of escape. That you may be able to bear it. We're not all tempted alike to do the same thing. Temptations are variable. They're real tough for some people and not tough for others. You know, I don't have to wake up in the morning and say, oh God, please... I got a drinking problem, and I need you to help me with it. And 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 Lord, I, I John Barleycorn, I just can't give him a John Barleycorn. I, I don't have a problem with that. I've never drunk beer before in my life. I I just say put it back in the horse. That's where it came from. You welcome. But some of you are. I had a dear preacher friend of mine that would always pop his lips and say, I'd give anything in this world for a Budweiser. I said, Bud, it don't make you wiser. (laughs) But I say variable. What necessarily is a problem for you may not be a problem for me. And what's a problem for me does not necessarily be a problem for you. But always consider the source. It comes from the devil. It never comes from God. God does not tempt. Neither can he be tempted with evil. It comes from the devil. And because of that, it's going to be difficult. And you're going to have to take a stand and say, Lord, give me grace. Give me grace. Temptations can be so vicious and so difficult. And yet, I believe God has made a provision that we can bear and endure that, whatever it might be. Finally, in John chapter 19, verse 30, Christ said several things while hanging on the cross. But one particular thing he said was, it is finished. What do you mean by that? When the Father sent him into this world, he did not send him to be a big shot. He sent him to be the Savior of the elect. He sent him to die on the cross of Calvary. And everything that Jesus Christ did put him closer and closer to the cross. But when he had fulfilled the Father's will for his life, he said, it's finished. It's finished. I completed it. 
And also in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul said just before they cut his head off, I have finished my course. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith and I have finished my course. There's a course for you. There's a course for you. It's each one of God's children. We have a course, a walkway, that which we make sure that we stay where God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do. So what am I saying in this message today is regardless of how bleak the outlook may be and as dangerous as the times really are that you and I are living in and not just as adults but the children we've brought into this world are having to face some things, my dear friend, that you and I have never faced before. God is faithful. And we've put our hand to the plow and we're not going to turn back. God, give us grace to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Father in heaven,